0: John chapter 6, verses 47 to 59 I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum.
1: Good morning, my name's David Morton. I'm one of the members here at Breton Baptist Church. The Bible is a wonderful book, written in many different styles and to many different audiences. It shows us people at their best And people at their worst, it enables us to share people's greatest joys and their greatest fears and their anxieties. It leads us to Jesus, the one who gives life in all its fullness. At times the Bible can speak to us with a piercing clarity as if it was written just for us, yet at other times it can confound and confuse us. I wonder what you think about our passage today. Well, to be frank, it's a bit of a beast to understand. It's packed full of imagery, of metaphor, of deep meaning. It's challenging, it's controversial. It's hard to stomach in places. So much so that a number of followers of Jesus at the time turned and left and went back to their homes. So what does the passage mean? What does it have to say to our lives today? How can it speak to us through time and help transform the way we live? To answer these questions, we need to look with the eyes of those who sat in the synagogue at Capernaum. We need to listen with the ears of those who heard the gospel of John for the first time in Ephesus at the end of the first century AD. And we need to look, listen and learn with what we know of Jesus over the last 2000 years since he spoke those words in the synagogue. So much of what we read and what we listen to is filtered through and informed by what we've already learnt or experienced or what we know. If we listen to this excerpt from Robert Macfarlane's The Old Ways, I wonder what kind of picture it conjures up.
2: Mid-morning departure, Stornoway harbour, which is known as the hoyle. Hints of oil, hints of hooli. Sound of boat slip, Reek of diesel, broad bays wake through the harbour.
1: For some of us, the image will be based on real knowledge. We'll have been to Stornoway. Others of us will have sailed so we know what it's like to leave the harbour early in the morning, whilst others will have walked down to the quayside and seen the fishing boats as they depart for a morning's fishing. For me, the reek of oil reminds me of the 7.30 a.m. to alarm Ferry as I travelled uh, to see Debbie in Northern Ireland when we were courting. Such are the things you do for love. Now, before I get washed away on a wave of nostalgia, the point here is quite simple. When we read something or listen to something, it is filtered through what we do or do not know what we have or have not experienced. And that is especially true of scripture. It's strange to read Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. The Reverend Dr. William Barclay goes as far to suggest that some would find it grotesque. It certainly repelled those who were following Jesus at the time. So why is it in scripture Are we supposed to read those words in a literal sense, or do they have a more deeper, profound meaning? Before we look at the passage in detail, there's a couple of bits of background information that I think are relevant to us. John's Gospel was written towards the end of the first century AD, most likely in Ephesus, where John had become a leader of the church. It was primarily intended for Greek-speaking Jews many of whom had converted to Christianity and were now starting to find that their faith was being shaken. The Gospel of John is, by common recognition, one of the most Jewish of the four Gospels. And you can certainly see that in the allusions and references to the Old Testament, including those we can see in our passage today. The city of Ephesus was the second biggest city in the Roman Empire scholars believe between 50,000 and 200,000 people lived there it was the political the religious the social the cultural center of Roman life in Asia it was culturally and religiously diverse with thousands of people from across the Roman Empire flowing through its streets each day by the time John was writing his gospel there were those who lived in Ephesus and the surrounding area who were starting to deny uh, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus and this would have influenced John as he wrote and his readers of that first gospel would have had that in the back of their mind as they listened to what they were hearing this context affects the passage understand or how we understand it how it's written, and how we can interpret what Jesus is saying. So we pick our passage up halfway through what is a much longer discourse. Jesus, we're told, is teaching in a synagogue setting. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Now, up to this point, Jesus was using a language, and the language used in the Gospel suggests that you could come to Jesus by learning, hearing, and believing. As we hear Jesus introduce eat and drink, we start to see this shifts the understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. John himself sets the foundation for the coming verses we're now going to look at, when he says that Jesus is himself the bread of life. This means that he's not merely the giver of life, but he is essential for life and for life.
2: Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world.
1: Jesus speaks to those sat around him in the natural way of the teacher. He draws them back to the stories of their, their childhood, to the teachings of their rabbis. He reminds them that The Israelites were fed with bread for life in the deserts each day for 40 years. This manna was provided for them overnight and would last only the day. It nurtured and sustained them, but still they died. The imagery, the pictures, the context would be instantly familiar to those present. Uh, in the synagogue at Capernaum and for the Greek-speaking Jews listening to the message 70 years later. But Jesus now extends the imagery. I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Heads start to rise. Attention's been peaked. Did Jesus just really say that? And then the shock this bread is my flesh. The language that John uses forces the reader beyond the concept of hearing and believing. Beyond the language of the Torah, of teaching and instruction to ask, what is Jesus talking about? What is, is it implied here? The use of the word flesh brings into sharp focus the humanity of Jesus. Its physicality is, is, is literal. And it also starts to introduce the concept of sacrifice that Jesus will pick up later. Jesus, you see, would have spoken to the Jews in Capernaum in the language of Aramaic. And Aramaic has only one word for body. It's a word we're very similar and used to using um, as 21st century Christians. It's a very familiar phrase, but Greek had two different words for body. One sarx referred to to flesh and the other summa referred to the wider concept of the body, the body as a whole. In verses 51, 52, 53, 54, 55 and 56. We see John choose to use the word flesh. It amplifies Jesus's humanity. Jesus, John emphasizes, is both fully human and fully divine. Suddenly we find ourselves back in John chapter one. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth john calls us to confront the humanity of jesus to reflect on how we see jesus flesh and blood the reverend dr william Barclay notes it is an encouragement for us and a reminder for us to grasp hold of and never let go of Jesus's humanity. It is if, he says, Jesus speaks directly to us. When you are in discouraged and in despair, when you are beaten onto your knees and disgusted with life and with living, remember, I took this life of yours and these struggles of yours on me. Suddenly, Barclay says, life and flesh are clad with the glory of God because they are touched with God and by God. It's a sentiment that Bishop Leslie Newbigin echoes at the heart of the narrative John is saying that Jesus is in his concrete humanity, the actual living presence of God in the midst of human history. But that presence and life was not made present in the form of self-sufficiency, but in the form of self-sacrifice. It's made available only by being given away. Flesh and blood given up to death on a cross. The hearing and believing of Jesus' words properly lead on to an act of communion. And John leads us on now to a deeper understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us all. But before he does, he chooses to stop and to emphasise the consternation that was present on the floor of the synagogue. The Jews began arguing sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us this, his flesh to eat? John recognises that his largely Jewish audience would have those same questions. And to that day, people still have numerous questions, not only about this passage, about the whole of the Bible, and in particular, about Jesus. Yet for whatever reason, John doesn't dwell on that at this point. Now we see the imagery of sacrifice come to the fore.
2: Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me.
1: The Jews at Capernaum and the Greek-speaking Jews in Ephesus would have been familiar with the concept of animal sacrifice, as would any Greek or Roman citizen. In the cultural melting pot that was the city of Ephesus, there would have been an altar or shrine on virtually every single street corner. In fact, the shrine and the altar at the temple of Artemis was considered to be the biggest in the whole of Asia. At the center of sacrifice was the concept of communion with God. Now, Jewish sacrifice only took place at the temple in Jerusalem, but it would have been familiar to all Jews. The peace offering was a voluntary sacrifice, but one of the main sacrificial offerings offered by Jews. An animal provided by the worshipper would be sacrificed by a priest and its blood drained and sprinkled over the altar and the surrounding area. The animal would be divided, part of it would be burnt on the altar to God, part of it would be given to the the priest and the rest would be given to the worshipper to cook and consume as a meal within the temple area. It was a time of communion with God, a special and reverential experience, something ordinary Jews would not do many times in their life. So we see Jesus drawing on the image and language of sacrifice as he speaks in the synagogue in Capernaum. And we see John sitting at his desk in Ephesus, choosing again to emphasise this further. Jesus speaks of a life of a communion with God that is everlasting, of a visceral experiential relationship with God, one which permeates every muscle, every fibre to the deepest part of your being. Something that was more deeper, more meaningful than the fellowship offering, the peace sacrifice, which the Jewish worshipper experienced in the courts of the Jewish temple. Wow. But then, just as you hear the audible intake of breath, Jesus goes even further. I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you silence then the murmurs of disquiet did he just say that jews were forbidden to drink or ingest any blood the life was in the blood what was jesus saying the image of sacrifice as they knew it was just blown out of the water however jesus clearly says drink my blood. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? This passage, as we've seen already, is in part about communion and fellowship with God, a relationship with God that feeds and nurtures us to the depths of our being. The manna, says Jesus, fed the Israelites, but did not last, nor did it stop them from dying. The animal sacrifice fed the soul, brought communion with God, but it could not last, it had to be repeated. But partaking of the bread of life, being in communion with God, in fellowship with Jesus, this brings everlasting life, perpetual communion with God. This is a relationship that requires you to be infused with life to the very core of your being. The picture is clear. The life is in the blood and by metaphorically drinking the blood, you take the life of Christ deep within you. It shifts the narrative away from a purely mental and spiritual interaction with Jesus into the direction of a physical chewing and swallowing, a whole body holistic experience. When we choose to follow Jesus, it involves the whole of our being, giving the whole of our being, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental. The last 11 months have been a huge challenge for us. The three periods of lockdown have meant we've had to view our friendships and relationships in different ways. But however hard we work, at a relationship on screen, it's always going to lack the intimacy of a face-to-face meeting, gathering together over a coffee, going for a walk in the park. When we read scripture, when we read about Jesus, it is all too easy with the distance of time to realise that we've lost that physical intimacy of our relationship with him. We have a head relationship But what our hearts and our minds long for, rather like our on-screen existence, is something more, the human touch. And this leads me to reflect, and I wonder if it leads you to reflect as well. Have we lost sight of the humanity of Jesus? To what extent has my relationship with Jesus become a head relationship rather than a heart and whole body one? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to permeate and soak every fibre of our being? Do we allow ourselves to come into full communion with Jesus, the bread of life, or are we holding back? Are we taking what God has offered us to feed us, to nurture us, to the depths of our being in ways that we could hardly ever imagine. If I'm honest, I've still got a long way to go. What about you? I hope you, through the complexity of this passage, have seen a little glimpse of Jesus today, fully human, fully divine, the one who is the bread of life, able to bring you into full communion with God, the one who can bring life to the parts of your heart, mind and soul that you would find hard to imagine and could not think were possible. Brian, in asking me to preach on me this passage, gave me the title Eat Well, Stay Well. In some ways it sounds like a strange title, but I've resisted the temptation to change it. Because at its core, this is exactly what this passage is all about. If we come into a relationship, into communion with God through Jesus Christ, if we allow him through the Holy Spirit to permeate us to the core of our being, to soak us, if we nurture and feed ourselves on his life, his teachings and his very being, if we draw together in fellowship with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we will indeed be feeding our souls. We will be eating well. And if we eat well, we'll stay well. As Jesus says, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Amen. Let's come together in prayer and let's keep a moment of silence. I just invite God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be present with us now. Lord, we bring our lives to you. We long for a deeper, fuller, richer relationship with you. Thank you that you've brought Jesus to this world that we might have life and life in all its fullness. Would you fill us anew now, Holy Spirit, would you soak us with the presence of God to the very core of our being. And as we feel your life seep into every fiber of our being, may we both know and celebrate the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Renew our lives, renew our hearts, renew our minds, Lord. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen.